0: You're listening to TechNest, the PropTech podcast. In each episode, you'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. Discover market opportunities, interesting data, growth tactics, and trends driving the industry forward. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. And now your host, Nate Smoyer.
1: Hey, Owen. Welcome to the show. Hi, Nate. Nice to meet you. It's a pleasure to meet you. Okay, now I see you're from Boston, correct?
2: I am actually in Vermont. I was formerly in Boston, but oh. uh, I'm now located in Vermont.
1: See, I wanted to ask you, the the commercials for Sam Adams, and it's like your cousin from Boston. I was just curious if people from the Boston area, right, do they get offended by that or do they think it's actually hilarious as the rest of us who are not from Boston think about that?
2: You know, it's funny. I, I've never heard anyone... Get offended by that living there, or any of my actual Bostonian friends? I I would say no. Like I don't. It, it takes a lot to get offended in Boston. Like people just have very thick, salty skins. Where you know, like they frequently offend pretty much everyone else in the country. But for for Bostonians, they're like, eh, whatever. <laughs> or whatever. Well, for
1: what it's, it's one of my favorite commercials, uh, uh, commercial content series, I guess, if you will. But for everyone listening here, I've got Owen. Glubiak. Did I say it right? Did I get it? Glubiak. Yep. Boom. There it is. VP of client strategy for Cortex sustainability intelligence. Uh, They help with managing energy efficiency monitoring 45 million plus square feet of office commercial commercial real estate, right? Yeah, that's correct. And uh, this is, uh, you know, we've touched on some of this in the past on the show. I don't think we've ever gotten into the brass tacks. Too much and I think there's probably a lot to unpack of what even that means, what the opportunities are, you know how you even make this happen so excited to have you on the show here uh, so that we can get into that I want to start with kind of something very high level and then we'll get into exactly what cortex is doing but can you can you kind of bring to everyone here like the overall state of the processor? of decarbonization specifically with respects to commercial real estate or make it even more specific to you know office real estate.
2: Yeah I think that's that's a great foundation to go off of is what does it actually mean to decarbonize a building or a built state? And and if you look at the different kind of protocols and regulations, and there are numerous out there both globally with what the UN's putting out to municipalities like New York and Boston putting out their own Decarbonization at at a very basic level is looking at what's called scope one and scope two emissions, and sometimes scope three emissions. But what am I burning on site that's producing CO2 or CO2 equivalent emissions? Mm -hmm. What am I consuming that is producing emissions upstream? And then what am I doing that's sort of like part of my business that is also contributing to the overall kind of CO2 contribution to the atmosphere? So Most companies are looking at scope one, scope two, which generally is like heating for a building Mm -hmm. and any kind of like owned vehicles or things where they're burning on site or or, uh, burning emissions trying to get here and there. And electricity that's being consumed upstream from natural gas, uh, power plants, coal power plants, you know, the the gamut of different power generation sources that Mm -hmm. are producing CO2 emissions and and the whole intent of it is to decarbonize by trying to remove co2 from these processes and get it to a state where um you are either consuming electricity that is 100 percent green powered or zero emissions okay. or that you've removed the things that are producing sort of the emissions on site that could be fuel switching or doing different things that um kind of lead to a lower emission profile so it's sort of the path and the journey to zero out your carbon emissions as a company. And for commercial commercial real estate specifically, you know, there's there's really you know, a few pieces of, of mechanical equipment that are really important. It's it's how you produce heat. Is that steam? Mm-hmm. Is that onsite natural gas? Is these old school oil boilers in the in the basement kind of things? Like replacing that with things like an electric chiller and then moving the grid itself or purchasing renewable energy from the grid is the way to kind of like zero out that piece of it. And then any electricity you're consuming is is um, also part of purchasing renewable energy from the grid or producing it on-site or some combination of, of both.
1: And so in, in the whole grand scheme of decarbonization, does carbon capture fit in with that? Or is that something that's considered separately?
2: Carbon capture would be considered part of that. I think if you're uh, burning emissions on-site, you know, if you're able to capture those emissions, and there are some pilots in New York City where they actually are doing this, where they're actually mm-hmm. capturing the emissions and producing um, sort of like this like carbon captured thing. I think the latest thing was like the Empire State Building had like a little miniature figurines of the Empire State Building that were based off of CO2 that they captured from carbon capture projects. So it's pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, I, I have spoken and I cannot for the life of me remember there was one startup that they're their whole shtick was they had a a carbon capture system and device on premise and it made it possible to, then they'd have these trucks pull up and like pump the CO2 into the trucks. And the whole point of that was that's what was going, being sold to concrete companies Uh, Mm -hmm. instead of buying CO2. Apparently we still buy it from the middle East. Like we kind of like ship, we spend a lot of CO2 to, purchase cheap <laughs> co2 to come over to the yeah. us it's like this is a much better uh, uh way of, of doing it so um right and so then uh you kind of broke down a little bit of like you know wh- what it means and uh you know what it can look like for a building where is this all happening though because i only ever hear you know you're you're well you're actually kind of like In between the two epicenters that that I hear about when it comes to cities and decarbonization, which is Boston and and New York, those are the two places I hear about. I don't know that that's necessarily the most popular places in the US, but like, where is this actually happening? And how, like, what's the momentum right now in the commercial real estate uh, sector with actually taking action and, and adoption when it comes to decarbonization?
2: Yeah, certainly. So I think there's a, a few different pressures that commercial real estate is getting even beyond the regulatory environment. So the first one, which is touch on it, is the regulatory environment. You'll have some of the larger real estate companies that have assets spread across the US that mm-hmm. are now seeing either regulations in place, like New York's local law ninety seven or Boston's Burdo, or DC's BEPS that these are regulatory compliance codes that are already there, to Mm -hmm. places like California that just passed the benchmarking standard for the whole state of California, not even just municipalities. Uh, the, The path has generally been like you have these regulatory frameworks that start with benchmarking and then sort of gradually increase over time into kind of a standard of, hey, you need to show me a plan now show me your action against the plan and now kind of demonstrating milestone through reducing emissions so that that regulatory compliance pieces is, is definitely a growing uh pressure from for the real estate space and that's kind of like the first pillar the second pillar is you now have the large pension funds who are committing serious dollars like Calpers announced something this this past fall that they have a 100 billion dollar fund Mm-hmm. set up for specifically like decarbonization. Mm-hmm. And that pressure is is very acutely felt by commercial real estate because it is a very debt heavy structure. You know, they they finance purchasing assets with debt. They have to go off of debt for a lot of their operations. And they're trying to improve what's called the the NOI or the net operating income of the building itself, hoping to increase the valuation of the asset to then either be hold or sold in the future, but it's a very debt heavy structure, which means who you're getting your debt from is important. And if you start to have a lot of the financing arms require not only just you have to have an ESG plan, now show me the plan, now show me the progress to plan, now show me the milestones. Mm -hmm. It means that your access to capital is becoming um, narrower by not Kind of participating in this market and showing that you are demonstrating and actioning against an oh, ESG plan. I didn't, so, so,
1: so, like lenders are actually saying, like, "Hey, in order for us to give you this money, we want to know that there's like you're in pursuit of uh, that the E of your ESG plan uh, and
2: and doing something here. Exactly. There's got to be a, a... Demonstrated impact that you are are making to your ESG plan, so wow. it's starting to get from just having an ESG plan, mm-hmm. you know. And a lot of commercial real estate has gravitated towards the GRES standard of just you know showing like what's our what's our GRES score, how is that progressing over time, mm-hmm. and investors are picking up on that to where they're starting to mandate you know progress each and every year against those GRES scores. Mm-hmm. And and that's causing serious pressure. And we feel that all the way up to the top of the commercial estate companies where your CEO is is making commitments around ESG, and those are public commitments. And then they've got to demonstrate impact to their investors. Otherwise, yeah. they won't have the capital they need to fuel their growth, which is a very tricky situation for them to be in, especially when interest rates have doubled since what they were a few years ago. So it's you know like that's a that's a very major second pressure that commercial mm-hmm. real estate's feeling right now as they are struggling with financing in general while trying to hit these ESG goals in a, in a low capital uh, kind of market right now so third oh sorry oh, go keep ahead. keep
1: going no go on the third
2: one i would say third major pressure is coming from the tenant side of things so like you're going to have a lot of your tenants also trying to comply with these ESG standards so it's, you know, whoever's occupying your building is going to say like, I need to have energy star scores, energy star certified lead scores. If you're in New York, uh, you know, some of the local laws, like having that letter grade that's on the doors, the decals, uh-huh. you know, some of them will start to require that. And they'll go through their checkbox and say, are you complying with these things? Okay, great. I guess we can lease the space for you. And like in this kind of lower um, I or I should say in this in this vacancy constraint kind of world where there's like this there's a lot of vacancies in commercial real estate mm-hmm. it's making it very hard so you have to prove all these things and like spend the money to then ensure that you are hitting your ESG targets and then your tenants are saying okay well I want the best possible price and you need to have all these ESG commitments in place it makes it very challenging to prioritize your capital dollars to ensure that you're meeting your ESG goals and hitting your carbon reduction targets
1: Okay, so that was awesome. Uh, and, and so the, my my immediate thought here, though, is that if you have all of those pressures, but the lending environment is not what it was two years ago. So it's more expensive capital, like by by significant amounts. So this just like. It's like if everything even got harder. Like, how can you? And I, I imagine this is part of your day to day problems that you're facing. <laughs> uh, like, how do you drive that adoption? Like, what is it that gets people over the humps? Despite the, we know tenants want this. We know our lenders are requiring this. If if they're a large holding company, they may have to have it dedicated or, or specified by the board. They may have to have it specified by the city. but the, the cost, you know, if they, they have to justify the cost, like what is it that's getting people over the hump to take that leap forward?
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up as I think that's sort of the elephant in the room is like, oh, okay, well, I have this 30 you know, year old system in place that's not broken, but definitely very carbon intensive. Mm -hmm. And I don't have the millions of dollars of capital to spend to replace it right now. And I'm going to run into these commitments in the future. What can I do right now to try to optimize the performance of my building, given my low capital environment? And and I think that's exactly where solutions like ours have come into play, because we focused on this operational excellence and trying to squeeze as much efficiency out of a building asset as possible mm-hmm. and we do this by kind of prioritizing a framework of different energy conservation measures or ecms is what we call them to drive this sort of desired energy um, state or, or achieving energy objectives and it can be done with simple things like how do you start your building how do you shut down your building how do you avoid peak demands in the summer or the winter mornings or just ensuring that equipment is just not running overnight. I mean, if you drive around a lot of the spaces that are tended controlled, you just see stuff is just on. And, you know, like that is where like behavioral operational excellence Mm -hmm. comes into play. And, you know, like we feel for like the, the people that we work with. I mean, they tend to be building engineers. They've been there for decades. They know every pipe, every duct, everything that goes on in the building, but they don't have transparency a lot of times into everything that's happening right now. Because it's too much. You have a 40 story building. How do you know if one suite has left their thermostat on, um, you know, trying to come up and down the building and check everything all at once? It's just it's too challenging for one person to do that. So having Mm -hmm. this kind of technology to support operational excellence is the kind of easy kind of gateway to get you into it to ensure that you're optimizing what you have while layering in some of the more capital intensive stuff as you kind of progress in your decarbonization journey.
1: I haven't shared this story much. Maybe I haven't shared this story at all. Um, but early in my career, I was brought on at a home building company where we were, we were home, a track home builder, did communities. And uh, they brought me on as the building services coordinator. Basically, I was a glorified janitor in many ways. <laughs> and I remember, um, as you're saying this, like I remember the one day in one of our office buildings, I was working with one of our our head field techs we were mapping the HVAC because we, we, we had basically like the duct system didn't match with the vents in the ceiling. So we didn't know where air was going and how, and then people were always saying they were cold and there was other people in the same office were always saying they were hot. So we were constantly dealing with these battles of like inefficiency of the system. And so like, I remember with like a, a yellow notepad, and like, we're drawing this out because we just didn't have accurate records at our access. And we were trying to sell something pretty simple, but like I think about that, and then I'm like, okay, now put that to 40 floors, put that to multiple tenants per floor, and then add electric, add your water consumption, add your like your lighting, and any sort of machinery that, or even just computers, like because computers or if they have their own server closet, like that's not cheap. That consumes as well, and yeah, I can see where like this would start. Mag, you know, multiplying in like magnitude of like difficulty to like problem software or, or to even begin to approach the problem. So what does, what does yeah, Cortex yeah. empower uh, and we can jump into any of the specific uh, capabilities here, the building services coordinator, if you will, or building engineers, yeah, as you, yeah. you said, to, to be able to start approaching some of these challenges.
2: Totally. One of my favorite stories. And, and I, and like I could feel for this guy so much. He he was kind of describing to us like his process for like, all right, I'm gonna start the building, and like, here's what I go through. I know when to turn our equipment on because I go outside, and I touch the hand railing, and based on how cold the hand railing is, I know what time to start my like sequence of operations. When to kick up fans, chillers, all this stuff, what? based on my feel of the handrail. I love We're looking, I'm like, all right. Yeah, tell me more about that strategy. <laughs> like, you, you got to like relate with these guys. It's like they only have access to so much stuff, mm. and it's been in so many different disparate systems. You know, it's not like a, it's not like a regular product company where it's like I have product, I go to a manufacturing site, I build said product to said specifications, I and then I get it out to market and I validate. Okay, are people buying this or not? I come back, I tweak, I tweak product. I kind of go through this like iterative process. Commercial estate is I bought building, building was constructed in 1950, 1920, 2010. And here's what I've inherited as a result of this. Like, mm-hmm. I need to understand all of the different like <laughs> modules of technology that have been slammed on top over the decades. And you know, like, how does all this fit together? Like, oh, we have this, this riser where all the equipment is going up the building. And that was built in the 20s. And it's like, yeah, but there's the internet nowadays. Like, how did we how did we design towards that? It's like some of this stuff is is incredibly challenging because you're you're inheriting infrastructure that mm-hmm. didn't see this coming decades ago, and you're trying to figure out what's the best way to mash these systems together and have them talk to each other, and then couple that with all of the other prop tech that's coming in occupancy sensors, tenant apps, tenants wanting mm-hmm. control over XYZ it's it's incredibly challenging for a building engineer who's been doing the same thing for two decades to then say, hey, change, change overnight, do better. You can do these energy reduction goals. Like they're set up for for failure to some extent. And like there needs to be this like very robust structure in place coming all the way down from the top of like we've made these energy commitments and this translates all the way down to incentives for the chief engineers and the building engineering team to comply or to achieve those goals and then how to actually get there so that they feel like they're part of the overall conversation of we've set these goals and I'm part of the the goals to kind of get to this this outcome of reducing our emissions to eventually be net zero otherwise it's you're asking you're asking somebody who's been doing the same thing for you know two decades and is put in a position to kind of add more and more technology thrusted on them to change. And um, Mm -hmm. you're just not going to get there as a result. So our view of this is, you know, start with the building engineer, help the building engineer kind of understand, you know, where are my current gaps? What am I not getting visibility into? Bring the corporate objectives into play there, map out Mm -hmm. that governance structure so that there is this connective tissue between commitments that are made at the top, to my everyday behaviors of touching that handrail and, and kind of making the behavioral changes so that it's a data-driven process um, and not one that's based off of like, well, I'm, I've been doing this for decades. Um, and I, I know I need to change, but there's not really a forcing function for me to do so. So mm. that's that's kind of what you're running up against when it comes to this, this infrastructure. And that's what we're trying to provide to our commercial real estate customers is this structure so that they feel. I'm making commitments, and I have line of sight for how I'm actually going to achieve these targets. And you're involving every stakeholder along that value chain, from you know boiler room to boardroom, in that process.
1: Totally makes sense. And I don't know who that guy is, but give him a raise because <laughs> that's a <laughs> that's a level of passion for what you do every day that you even took the time to note of like, hey, here's how I know where things are at. It's like when I touch that railing in the morning, I just I just know. Where we're going, and there's something about them. Like, I don't know who that guy is. I want him on my team. Um, I know, right? I want to take a shift but here. Can you imagine you being had to that know. guy, though?
2: Like, if you're that yes. guy and like you have, you have like changing, you just like, you have such, but then you're conditions. shown the light.
1: There's ways, yeah. there's other ways to do this. Yeah, exactly. That'd be a hard Correct. thing to ever uh, train someone to come work with you is like when you touch this railing, no, it's temperature.
2: Uh, right. Your apprenticeship <laughs> is going to be pretty difficult very soon.
1: Yeah. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna shift here a little bit. Now we ha- you had to have known. Uh I didn't prep you in the pre-show, but hopefully you know we weren't gonna get through this discussion without talking about the role of AI. Uh it's yeah. AI has been the talking point all year for everyone. Everyone has AI. Uh every company AI. is an AI company. And some of that's true. <laughs> some of it may yep. be a little bit of a stretch. Uh, but you know, I, I tell people like, look, if you're incorporating even chat GPT to some degree, you've got AI added in here. So Hey, run with it if you will. Um, but where does, where does AI come into play when we're talking about decarbonization? And I, I assume there is a play here and it seems like it because there's many data points to start looking at size of building types of systems, tenants, number of windows and doors in a building. I, I, there's, there's, you know, and I have no idea what you guys may or may not be doing with your modeling here. Uh, but it seems like yep. there may be some very applicable uh, uses here for AI. Can you, can you walk me through that?
2: Yeah, hundred percent. And like full disclosure, like our company, you know, was founded on AI principles like back in 2014, but like it, AI in this case is bringing these disparate systems together to help people best operate the building based on external, internal conditions. There's too many variables. There's far too many variables that have to go into play here where people have been making decisions in silos and AI is a great way to connect the dots together to bring these systems together so that you're incorporating things like tenant occupancy increasing on any given day and what that translates to in terms of when to start certain fans and when to shut down certain fans, uh, to optimize the performance of the building also while providing tenant comfort, you know, like a lot of stuff is done on feel. Uh, Mm -hmm. you just, you can't, you can't do this with kind of traditional OT technology of like start, stop. It's gotta be based on, you know, AI principles of, of bringing in these systems and being able to find kind of the, the path of best fit, um, and, and just optimizing the performance along the way. So like for for us and, and our approach, AI has is, is kind of been the thing that we've leaned in on the most because we feel that there's too much data out there and we're trying to bring it all together to help, in this case, building engineers you know, best operate their day-to-day life, um, what to do in any given day based on any kind of conditions. You know, is this a Monday and our, our building was shut down over the weekend? So we need to heat the building a little bit more than what we would if it were a Thursday. You know, is occupancy expected to swing dramatically on Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays? What does it look like mm-hmm. historically? What do we expect this week? You know, what am I seeing in the weather patterns that's making it so that I, I can understand, you know, what's the optimal time to start this based on humidity, based on cloud cover, based on, you know, all the different weather parameters are out there. You know, you can't do that based on feel, you can't do that based on Mm -hmm. um, traditional OT technology, or even just regular IoT technology, like you need to have AI driven insights to find this pattern matching, so that you can kind of optimize the performance of the building, and have tenant comfort not be sacrificed as a result of that, because that is a big piece of it. So there's, you know, my take of this is like AI is this nice, connective way of saying, hey, there's too many disparate systems, you need an AI tool to help kind of narrow this down so that you can really focus on the things that matter, not based on like what time you need to start this fan or what time you need to start this chiller or what time you need to shut down these fans or turn them down or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it just, it makes it so that you can focus on this broke. I'm going to go fix that. And when I'm shutting down the building is based on all these different parameters that are going to help me make a decision that I don't need to do a bunch of different math or, talking to folks or, or just even going up beyond and just saying, you know what? I'm not going to shut down the building until 11 PM. Cause there may be people in here there may not be, but I'm being safe. So mm-hmm. like that just leads to wasted energy. So it, it helps you kind of make the best decisions with all the current information that you have.
1: Yeah, certainly. And you mentioned like one of those bit, the pieces in there, like tenant comfort, you know, if you're, if the tenants in the building, you know, or, not comfortable to some degree or like you said humidity and it actually brought me back to thinking about, uh, when in our office building, when I was in Chicago, it was an old brick building. You know, I think there's only like nine floors, uh, in river North and I'd never done this, but when winter came around, first off, hallways were so dang cold and like it didn't warm up until like 9am in the office. You know, I mean, we were like real scrappy startup. And uh, one of the founders is like, hey, get that humidifier out of the closet. I'm like, wait, what are you talking about humidifier? And I'd never even thought about it, but it kind of brings together the pieces here of like why AI modeling or just even smarter tech here like just makes so much more sense because like, yeah, you had the heat on, but like it would dry. I mean, we would just just dry out in there, you know, because you'd have to crank the heat so high. Because there's other inefficiencies in the building. So like we were having to compensate by running our own humidifier to like give some moisture back into just our office. But then you could think about like how that compounds all throughout the building of like how much excess energy was being consumed from that. Uh, But of course, how how would you know otherwise? Because that's just the way it's always been done. Uh, And there's not a way to see that. So I I think that there's like, obviously, it's just a small example. But I think that that's probably the common. That's the most common. And and we're not even talking about space heaters under desks
2: (laughs) or things like that. Right, (laughs) right. Yeah. I mean, like you take that into account. You also take into account like indoor air quality. It's like if your humidity level is at like 10%, you know, like that's got some health implications to the people in that office where you're drying them out. Like that's not good either. So you, you, yeah, yeah, you yeah. want to have some way of measuring these things that you're not sacrificing you know, like people's health just to maintain a certain energy standard. It's just like, you have to balance all these things together. That's why you need AI to do that. Cause it's just too hard to do it manually. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I imagine this is even more important now um, for office owners and, and managers. the, the value prop of office has to be clear and direct to tenants, you know, taking the risk of sacrificing on the tenant experience is probably not a good idea at this point, uh, given yeah. the the state of work from home and some of the, the challenges that, you know, that exist within that vertical. Uh, that's just not something, is that something that you're hearing from managers that they're, they're leaning into more and more, or is that just more of an anecdotal? Like, well, we know we've got to, put more emphasis on tenant comfort because you know we've got to maintain our existing ones or we're using this to recruit new ones.
2: I mean, in terms of the commercial real estate owners, and I can talk specifically about the tenants as well, there, there's not an owner out there or a building team that is not thinking about tenant comfort every other second. And, and mm. that is the number one goal is ensuring that your tenants who are you know footing the bill so it's like rightfully so, they should be comfortable are mm. are really they're actually comfortable and in this day and age where you have uh pretty low occupancy Mondays, Fridays and trying to entice people back into the office, you know somebody coming in and saying like hey i'm I'm unproductive because of X,YZ condition in the office, like that's not what you want to hear. So yeah. commercial real estate in general is very attuned to those challenges, which is why you tend to have like crazy run times and schedules because they don't want to hear complaints. They want to make sure yeah. tenants are, are happy. So that causes like a, kind of a conflict of interest. Like you have this, we're hitting ESG goals, but we also want to run all the time to make sure com- tenants are comfortable. So like, that's where you get this inherent sort of balance between your tenant comfort and your energy performance and you need to make sure they are in balance based on, you know, data that you know of, like, when are people coming in the building? What's the lease obligations? What's the occupancy on different days of the week? Can I toggle back certain floors based on the fact that there's one person in there, not 500? And and like, that is a serious implication for energy performance that, frankly, like, most building teams are blind to at the moment. And so that's where technology plays a role of giving that transparency and visibility into what's going on in the building itself. And then how do I optimize my my equipment to kind of match the conditions on the space today and, and tomorrow. Very cool. Oh, and we oh, are and I going to mention to... the tent space. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, go ahead. We, we, can, All we good. can
1: keep going. Hey, we're going to, we're going to transition here to the segment. I like to call for the future for the future is when yeah. I get to ask each guest who comes to the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. Are you ready to play? Let's go for it. All right, let's do it. Question number one, what does Cortex look
2: like one year from now? Ooh, good, good question. I love that. So one year from now, and I won't get into specifics in terms of growth or size, but we we want to be the solution for helping optimize the performance of commercial real estate assets. Now, we're, we're specifically saying commercial real estate is... You know, we're we're the embedded partner in this case to drive down energy demand, lower energy costs, and provide the framework to align the stakeholders across the entire value chain, boiler room to boardroom to your tenants to help people get that real-time visibility and progress towards their ESG goals. Practically, what does that mean? It means that we are communicating to the CEO, this is the direct impact that you're that we that your team is having towards your ESG goals. Right now, it's there's a lot of like disparate teams, and, mm-hmm. and that's very, very challenging to do. And so we're on this path of ensuring that we're making that connective tissue all the way up so people know very much what did the engineer do to actually help achieve this goal. Right now, they're just seen as the guy in the basement, and they don't get a lot of credit for kind of pushing the envelope for making energy reductions. They only get slapped in the wrist when things go wrong. So yeah. our goal in this case is to be that connective tissue so that we can really point out, hey, who are the leaders in your space and who are the laggards and you know what can we do about it to kind of change that?
1: Question number two, Boston and New York, we talked about a little bit already, have passed some of the the more aggressive, if you will, decarbonization laws in, in Amer- for American cities. Which cities or city do you think will follow suit in the next year or two adopting similar policies?
2: Yeah, there, there's a lot of... Interesting legislation that, that is out there for a number of different municipalities. I, I think California as a state is likely on the fastest path, given that they have now passed their benchmarking standard. And that's usually mm-hmm. where people start is they start with the benchmarking standard and then they grow into, okay, here's here's the path. Like we're going to do emissions kind of milestones, and then it's, okay, everybody submit their kind of plans and milestones or how they're going to achieve it by some target. And then it's, okay, fine, start in 2030, 20, 28, 20, 20 something. Um, so you need to actually start actioning the plan as you go. And, you know, California is, is definitely on that path um, where, you know, we, we should start to see some interesting legislation pop up around, you know, what does that mean for commercial buildings? What does that mean for, for all buildings? You know, is the, what is it? You know where where is it going to dip down towards, and, and how many people are going to be affected? You know the benchmarking standard was was quite it's um, quite broad in terms of who it impacted. Mm-hmm. So I think we could expect something similar from you know future carbon regulations. But other ma- other major cities that are that are reviewing these kinds of pieces of legislation, whether they be building energy performance or it's direct CO two emissions, uh, Chicago, Denver, Austin. Um, Washington state has an aggressive kind of building energy standard. You know, all these things are are starting to morph into CO2 and mm-hmm, less mm-hmm. so on the energy side is they're kind of one and the same in this case. And, and that's where you're going to see a lot of kind of transition from, okay, is this just energy or is this also going to be CO2? And and I think you'll start to mm-hmm. see some more CO2 commitments from a lot of the major U.S. cities.
1: Yeah. I've rental property up in Washington state and, uh, in the County, Walken County, uh, that the property's at the county has passed some uh, guidance on how many panes all windows and new construction must be. So they have to be triple pane or something like that, like super high rated windows. Uh, and the other one that really is upset a lot of people, uh, which I can understand both sides, but uh, gas, they n- no longer can you use gas appliances. In uh, yeah. your new construction, so everything has to be electric, and that one was a particularly, uh, you know, a, a dividing point amongst people. And the the windows piece, even when that passed, the the hearsay I was getting from a few people who work in finance, uh, doing a lot of lending for like builder loans, was that it actually caused a backlog of permits, because basically, if you didn't pull your permit by a certain point, you had to have you know, those certain windows. And so then people just started filing. It was a massive load of permits. They filed earlier than they normally would have to beat that, you know, having to upgrade all their windows and things. So it's a very interesting, very interesting time to be following this, but it certainly looks like a lot of this is getting put onto the the front end of construction, which uh, over time, you know, should should help. But in the meantime, we have a large amount of inventory, both commercial and residential. That's just not up to par. All right. Number three here on for the future. What's one industry trend you think will
2: continue, but you wish would go away. Oh man. Uh, that is a tough one. I need a moment to think about that. So one industry trend that will continue that I want to go away. Mm hmm. Specific commercial commercial real estate in this case, You follow be your anything heart. but um, probably commercial real estate. So I I think <laughs> oh, that's I, I think one of the things that's that's tough is you. Oh, that's not a good one to go for. Can I skip that one and come back to it at the end? I need some more time to think about that.
1: Yeah, we'll come back. We'll we'll hit you with number four and then we'll come back. Number four here. What's one okay. thing you believe? will dramatically change your fadeaway in real estate as a result of tech advances?
2: Yeah. You know, like most things, there's no silver bullet to a lot of these, a lot of the kind of solutions. Uh, I think mm-hmm. if you look across like real estate in general, like what are they facing? What are the things that you need to do? There's usually a, a complex sort of array of different things that need to happen. I, I think first, and I'll, and I'll relate this specifically towards decarbonization you know, buildings will need to electrify if we're going to hit decarbonization goals. Um, looking for fuel switching and even carbon capture is just really expensive and, and hard to do mm-hmm. on scale. So the easiest thing to do is take proven technology and try to implement it um, as broadly as you can. And that's really challenging for things like heat pumps and trying to get that into all of the buildings in in New York City. Um, yeah. But building electrification, I, I think, is is absolutely something that it just it's going to continue and it's going to continue to be very expensive. There will be backlogs as there are right now when a lot of companies are going to try to, like, um, implement, a recommenda- or implement a lot of ECMs and not try the buildings towards the end of the uh, 2020s going right up to 2030. And so that's going to mm-hmm. cause a, a backlog of just services and people that need to install this stuff. Um so I think that's one key piece is building electrification. I, I think the grid itself is is definitely uh, part of this equation. So you need to have you know better access to renewable sources, mm-hmm. better um, flexibility on the grid itself. Uh, Ways to incorporate consumer demand more broadly. Programs like demand response, demand management, advances in batteries. You know, like one of the challenges is a lot of the lithium batteries you can't put them in in major cities. There's there's the fire risk, and like that's a real risk. So there's got to be advances where more storage is included in load zones um, that people can benefit from and and then use that in high peaks and in different ways to have flexibility. And then just incorporating different generation mixes that you're pulling in into the grids, renewables, et cetera, that's zero emissions. So I think the building electrification coupled with grid advances, um, I I think, are a major trend that I think we'll, we'll continue to see. Uh, and that's, that's really how we're going to hit the decarbonization goals is those kind of two things. But, you know, the sub components to each one of those things are, are many, <laughs> too many to probably yeah. name, but that's, that's the major trends. I think that we'll continue to see.
1: Yeah. Very well done. And all right, we're, we're back to it. I hope you are back time to think. back
2: to number three. What do we I wish answer? What's one away, industry trend
1: you think will continue,
2: but you wish to go away? Yeah. Oh god. With it it know, doesn't have to be sustainability it, it, or
1: decarbonization. No,
2: I I it's it's good though. I I think one of the things that's just it's incredibly tough um is just the how we how we get into the offices. Like most of commercial real estate, mm. you know, in areas is still in spots where you gotta drive to it. Um and, and like our infrastructure and our systems and like that scope three emissions of people coming in is, is a huge factor that is almost as much as what the buildings are consuming themselves is the transportation network. And, you know, that's, that's a trend that like, you know, I just don't see that going away. It's like, I'd love to imagine us in a state where we're taking bullet trains between cities, but like, that's just, doesn't feel like that's changing anytime soon. So I I wish the trend of like, instead of investing in infrastructure, which really means replacing highways and bridges and things with just updating our our driving capacity. I wish it was a better public transportation system that would allow more access and more people to get in easier, um, in, in a lower emission kind of way.
1: Well, I think, you know, this episode will likely go out. So for people, uh, after our interview with Christine Maki. uh, she was a, she's co-founder of a company called Swift cities. And so, People listening to this actually may want to go back and listen to that. I think you'll enjoy there. We talk about uh, their idea of you know kind of uh, more efficient and branching out uh, travel that's above the street in smaller pods on a cable and rail system. Uh, and it's really it's really slick of what they put together. And I, th- I kind of th- think that's what you, what you're talking about. Like, yeah, you can take the train into the city, but then you still have Uh, a fair amount of walking from there, or if you get to the city, uh, the train, but then you have to live within a mile or two of that train. And there's not really a webbing of networks that uh, still don't require you to drive to the train station. So I think there's some really interesting concepts still in that, that uh, in, in the ideation phase, but some of them really coming to to light. Oh, and this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for coming on tech nest. Uh, This is definitely branching out into some more uh, uh, territory we haven't really covered on the show. So it was a lot of fun getting into decarbonization, talking about what you know office building owners and investors are doing, how they're thinking about this topic and the pressures that are driving adoption. Before we close out, for those who want to get in touch with you and or learn more about Cortex, where do they go and how do they do that?
2: Yeah, best way is you can get onto LinkedIn, just Owen Glubiak. I'm, I'm one and only on, on LinkedIn. Um, for Cortex, cortexintel.com, another great source of information. We've got a lot of uh, resources on there just in regards to decarbonization, especially in the built environment. Uh, you can get access via our page there to contact me or, or anyone else on our team. But info.cortex.com, awesome. what about all of us?
1: And of course, we'll put the links in the show notes. You can find those on technest.io. If you're not currently yet on the newsletter where you can get all of every week's episodes as well as marketing essays and up-to-date news and product announcements from companies like Cortex, uh, make sure you hit the subscribe button, plug your email in, and that'll hit your inbox on a weekly basis. Oh, and this is awesome. Let you go uh, and have a great rest of your week. Yeah, thanks, Nate. Really appreciate it.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to TechNest, the PropTech Podcast. Find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode on technest.io. You can get future episodes delivered to your ears directly by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all other major podcast apps. Follow Technest on social media to stay up to speed on new developments, resources, and announcements in tech. Your support is greatly appreciated. There's two ways you can directly support this podcast. Share episodes you find interesting and then leave a review of the show in the app store from Nate and the TechNest team thanks for listening